0: House on the Prairie podcast. I'm your host, John Hernandez. All right, let's go ahead and put it out there. Pulling a Charles, sustaining injuries to only the left side of your body, be it by falling out of a tree, participating in a brawl, or in the case of last episode, gunfire. And this is one of those cases where trying to maintain balance is actually probably not worth it. The next time you suffer some sort of pain or injury on only the left side of your body, think, ah, I just pulled a Charles. Uh, It's also that lovely time of the year where those who are participating in daylight savings are dealing with that hour adjustment. And I don't know about the rest of you out there, but It takes quite a few days for me to adjust to that. And you know, it's not like the last few weeks where going to bed has seemed rather easy, but to have this added on top of everything else, lovely. The Ingalls encountered probably a lot of things pretty severe while living out on the prairie, but fortunately for them, they never had to deal with daylight savings. And with that being said, let's get started on today's recap. Today's episode is entitled, Blizzard, and debuted on December 27th, 1976. The episode was written by Paul W. Cooper and directed by William F. Claxton. We begin with a close-up, not too close-up, of a man waking up. He's an older gentleman getting out of bed and he opens the door and we are revealed to be at the Thief River Falls Train Station, aka the train station formerly known as Springfield. And upon opening the door, it is revealed to be a rather blustery day today. You could even call it squally. In fact, we haven't seen strong wind gusts like this since the plague back in season one. As the camera zooms in on the gentleman's face, he's busy looking around at the scene He even looks up into the sky and notices how cloudy it's becoming. And then he starts to receive a message by the telegraph. And upon finishing transcribing the message, it is reported. From International Falls, snow warning, heavy snow and drifts, to four feet, hold northbound traffic until further notice. We cut to Charles and Mr. Edwards at a different train station. The new Springfield train station. They've finished loading up their haul, and the station manager tells them to come inside and sign a receipt before they head out to play Santa Claus. Mr. Edwards mentions how they have plenty of things to do and plenty miles to go before they sleep, or at least before nightfall. It's Christmas Eve, everyone, and just as Charles and Mr. Edwards are signing those slips. The telegraph starts to go off in the background, and the train station manager attends to it. And getting that message transcribed as quickly as possible, the train station manager mentions, oh, it looks like it is going to be a white Christmas. Mr. Edwards and Charles take the moment to crack a few jokes. The train station manager says the snow is still some ways off, according to the message, but it's a coming. And we won't know how close it Is until they hear from Thief River Falls train station. We cut to Mr. Edwards and Charles, all bundled up and pulling up to a house. And here we are introduced to Jim Bowers, who, FYI, is standing outside with no hat and no jacket and doesn't seem to notice how cold it is compared to Charles and Mr. Edwards. These guys are definitely playing Santa's helpers today as they are delivering a rifle to Jim Bowers. It's intended as a gift for his son, Joey, who happens to have left earlier with his mom so he could go to school and she could participate in the women's league. And of course, I can't help but wonder, why didn't Mr. Edwards offer up the rifle he got for John Jr.? It's not like he's using it or he's even around anymore. There's some friendly banter amongst the three of them before Charles and Mr. Edwards head out. And speaking of rifles, we cut to a rifle in the window. In the window's reflection, we see a boy in the background. I'm suspecting it's Willie Olsen who yells out, come on, Joey. This is Joey Bowers. And Joey Bowers is busy staring at that rifle in the window. It's Little House on the Prairie's own Ralphie Parker, except it's not a Red Ryder BB gun. Joey yells out, Your pa wouldn't leave a rifle in the window if somebody bought it. At this moment, it is confirmed. This is Willie Olson. Mentions no one's going to buy that rifle because it's cheaper in the catalog. In the reflection, Joey Bowers is overjoyed. (gasps) He could have ordered it through the catalog. They run off to school. Cut back to Thief River Falls train station, and well, the snow is here. And the train station manager is relaying that message. And back at Walnut Grove, a man leads us into the Feed and Seed. It's a long time since we've been here. And inside, a woman is keeping the books. And we find out her name is Lottie. At the moment, she's supposed to be heading over to the Women's League soiree over at the Olsons, But she's kind of just stuck on one of these problems in the books there is $17 that is not accounted for. And well, this unnamed man who we've followed into the feed and seed is acting pretty suspicious and 100% seems to be trying to hide something. And this is when he comes behind Lottie and places his hands around her and says, Christmas is a time for hugging, kisses her on the cheek. Lottie finally says it, and then I finally get to say thank you. Ted McGillis, I think you're beyond saving. She kisses him back, and just before I come under the impression that we are getting a scandal on Christmas Eve, we're informed that Ted and Lottie are married, and they have a son named Henry who attends school, who we've never met before. As she heads out, Mr. Edwards and Charles arrive and start to unload the crate that they have brought for Ted McGillis. Mr. Edwards lets his feelings be known. This playing Santa Claus is getting an awful lot like work. And with a smile on his face, Ted McGinnis offers something up to help with the Christmas cheer. And he pulls out a crock jug. With a slight chuckle, Charles states, oh, I think Mr. Edwards remembers that stuff from last year. The crate Charles and Mr. Edwards have brought in contains a foot pedal sewing machine. It's at this moment, Ted McGinnis admits it's to embezzling funds to get the sewing machine. Watching his friend sip on that little cup of whiskey, Charles tells him enough. We still have two rocking horses to put together and they head out the door. But as the door opens, they mention how there's a chill In the air, they relay what the Springfield train station manager said, that they might get some snow, and Ted McGillis says he sure hopes so. It wouldn't seem like a Christmas without it. Famous last words. Because we cut to the Springfield train station, and he is finally getting that message from Thief River Falls. Blizzard warning. Heavy snow. Winds 30 to 40. Moving south, southeast send word forward. We cut to the Women's League soiree. They're making Christmas ornaments for the town holiday party. They're hand-painted egg ornaments and paper garlands and some wreaths. Harriet Olson, I'm so glad I suggested to Reverend Olden we have a town Christmas party. It should be noted that Mrs. Foster, Grace Snyder, Lottie McGinnis, and a few additional extras are are there at the women's league soiree. And from somewhere in the back, we hear, I thought Reverend Alden said Betty suggested it. Caroline is here too. Presents in the morning, party in the afternoon, it's like Christmas twice, according to Grace Snyder. The biggest challenge, however, according to Grace, is keeping Mr. Edwards away from the presents till then. Harriet Olsen also informs us, Charles is delivering a sermon in the absence of Reverend Alden. The Reverend spent last Christmas with them, and this year is spending it with his other congregation. He's whittled it apparently down to two, Walnut Grove, and Sleepy Eye. Harriet Olson, I don't understand. We contribute more financially than Sleepy Eye. She's reminded that it's better to give than receive. Harriet Olson refers to this idea as nonsense. At this time, Caroline gets up and tries her wreath on the door. This is when she notices how it's trying to snow. And we cut to inside school. They're also trimming a tree there. The students are doing arts and making some calendars for presents. Miss Beetle is supervising all of this. And when she inspects Laura's calendar she has to admit that Laura has one of the months out of order. Mary takes this moment to point out that that month is Laura's birthday month. Miss Beetle giggles and says they need more paste and while she is inquiring where it's at Carl Sanderson mentions he gave the paste to Willie and there's a head shake and chuckle from me because yes dear listeners When Miss Beetle is standing next to Willie, he is not facing the camera and we get that slow reveal as Willie turns around and Miss Beetle has to know, Willie, have you been eating the paste again? Not only is he a repeat offender, he's caught in a paste face lie. When asked if his calendar is completed, Willie, with a smile, responds yes He is then told to go stand in the corner. Miss Beetle delivers the paste over to Mary and Laura, and she checks on more students' projects. This is when Willie announces, it's snowing, and there's a bum rush to look at those flakes. And with a big smile, Laura says, hey, do you want to build a snowman? And this is when Miss Beetle states, well, it doesn't look as though there's enough for that. Again, famous last words, but she does feel in the best interest of the students and the holidays that she's going to send everyone home early once they finish their presents. Meanwhile, at Plum Creek, Charles and Mr. Edwards are in that barn assembling those rocking horses. Mr. Edwards heads out to the wagon to gather a few more materials. And that's when he yells for Charles to come out and look at this. That snow looks like it's here. Charles suggests that they head into town to pick up the kids once they're done finishing with those rocking horses. We have a final shot of Jack under the wagon, barking and cowering just a little bit. And we cut back to school and shut the front door. Mary is bundling up Carrie In fact, I have to admit, I rewound this episode to double check if she was in the earlier school scene. And yeah, she is. It looks like Carrie is finally in school. But maybe it's like some sort of special holiday thing. As the children head back to their seats, Miss Beetle first says thank you to Carrie for coming to visit us today. All right, Carrie's not in school just yet. And just as she dismisses the rest of the students, she mentions how she's going to keep Willie and Nellie behind to help clean the blackboards because they live just right across the street, court, park, whatever. And Nellie looks so distraught for having to do this. Miss Beetle says Merry Christmas and sends the kids out the door. We get a quick shot of the Springfield train station manager still at the telegraph sending word And outside the storm there is getting fierce. And we cut back to Mary, Laura, Carrie, Carl, and Alicia heading home. Again, where is John Jr.? Because here we are in episode 11. And possibly two years have passed since season 3 has started. And as they are working hard to get their way home, this is when Carrie decides it's time to stop and start to complain about how cold she is. Laura, offering words of encouragement. Everyone is cold, but think how warm you'll be when we get home. And this is when the Ingalls girls and their Sanderson duo decide to part ways, each going their respective shortcut home. And at the moment, Mr. Edwards and Charles are heading into town with the wagon. They've put the top up, and it's a cold ride in and Charles suggests that Mr. Edwards head into the wagon because there's no reason for both of them to get cold. Charles continues that if the conditions get worse, they might have to stay in town overnight. Inside the wagon, Mr. Edwards gets himself, as comfortable as he can be, and he pulls out a bottle of brandy. It says so on the label. I guess during the holiday season, Mr. Edwards gets to slurge a little and doesn't have to go with his own home-distilled corn whiskey or mash or turpentine. Cut back to the Olsons. Grace and Caroline are coming out with those decorations, and Caroline mentions how this has turned into a true blizzard. Grace mentions how she's sure glad the children are not out in all of this. There's an awkward silence from me, just for the hell of it. The Women's League make a nice line, and head straight to school, and upon entering the building, they learn the horrible truth. Miss Beetle, where are the children? And Miss Beetle confesses that she let them out early. In the background, Willie reminds us, all but us, we had to stay and wash the blackboards. Caroline is the first to make a move. When did they leave? And Miss Beetle states, quite a while ago, When the work was done, they were all excited about Christmas. It was only flurries when they left. Lottie McGinnis and Mrs. Bowers, we know it's her because of the subtitles. And remember, we were told by her husband, Jim Bowers, she was heading into town for the Women's League. And both of them mentioned that their boys couldn't make it home in this weather. Apparently, the Bowers and the McGinnises live really far out of town. This is when Charles and Mr. Edwards come in. You're going to have to run a hotel in here tonight. There's a slight pause before Charles inquires, where are the children? And Caroline explains the whole situation. Charles inquires to Miss Beetle once again, when did the children leave? And apparently Miss Beetle has more precise answer now because she says about a half an hour ago. And of course, being the man with the plan, Charles states that he's going to rally the men in town to go look for the children. And in a very surprising move, as Charles and Mr. Edwards leave, Harriet Olson tells Mr. Edwards, you'll need warmer clothing. Nels has some in the storeroom and encourages him to bundle up. And at this moment, at the front of the room, a tree branch snaps and breaks one of the windows near the front. Caroline rallies the women to shutter the windows and with the windows covered things really start to sink in. We cut to the Ingalls girls making their way. Slowly Mary announces that they need to hurry. It's getting dark and in the rush Laura falls and claims that I dropped my present. She's talking about that out of order calendar. Mary it doesn't matter. Keep moving. Meanwhile, over at the mercantile, those men are putting on those layers. And by men, I do mean Charles, Mr. Edwards, and Mr. Hansen. It should also be noted Ted McGinnis is there, but he's not putting on any extra layers. But we are informed that the kerosene supply is low. They were expecting their shipment that day. I guess there was no room in that wagon with Charles and Mr. Edwards. Doc Baker shows up and informs the group that they're going to need some blankets and brandy. He asks for it by name. They have three kids back at the school, darn near frozen to death. The Harris girls and little Tommy Spencer. At this time, Jim Bower shows up and inquires if anyone has seen his boy, Joey. And... Ted McGinnis, who doesn't seem really at all that concerned, speaks up and says, yeah, I saw him. Him and Henry stopped by at the feed and seed, feed and grain, on their way home. Didn't you see them on your way in? Jim Bower says, no, I left my team in a drift. WTF, he left his horses out there? Ted McGinnis yells out for Mr. Hansen to hurry himself up. And as Mr. Hansen is finishing bundling himself up, Mr. Olsen yells out, Wait, he's coming along too. And Hansen's a little surprised. Your children are safe at school. You haven't got any children out there. And Mr. Olson, without missing a beat, says, Neither do you, you old goat. We cut to Carl Sanderson leading poor little Alicia to who knows where. And then back at the school doc baker is returning with those blankets and that brandy and immediately starts to serve it to the kids doc baker moves to the center of the room to make an announcement and i just have to point out miss beetle is in the background looking so defeated behind her desk doc baker then states that the men are out looking they know what they're doing He also mentions that they will soon have lots of kids here, and the first few moments of treating the victim is vital. Lottie McGinnis then inquires, Frostbite, Doc? Yes. Doc Baker then, Doc, explains to everyone what to do. We don't really hear it because we cut to Mr. Edwards and Charles making their way through the blizzard, followed by more shots of the Ingalls girls making their way through the blizzard. And back at the Walnut Grove General Hospital, apparently the brandy is not enough. And Doc Baker pulls out some laudanum. Only half a teaspoon. Only half a teaspoon. Which, if they've already had some brandy, I don't know if this is a good idea. And then from there, in by far the kindest gesture ever seen, by Willie Olson. He approaches Miss Beetle and strokes the bun on her head and says, it wasn't your fault, which is what Miss Beetle needs to be hearing. We cut to Mrs. Bowers, also serving some brandy to a minor. We then hear a thud and Mrs. Bowers gets up and decides to investigate. It's a good thing this is not a horror movie. She opens the door of the school Hospital, church. But there's no one standing there in front of her. And that's when she looks down and yells out, Lottie, it's Henry. You know, the son we've never met before this moment. They bring him inside and we are informed, yes, that he will be all right. But will Grace? She's witnessing the scene and it's really finally hitting home with her because she's starting to look a little fragile. And Mrs. Bowers then asks a suffering Henry, where is he? Where's my son, Joey? And in his state, Henry McGinnis confesses Joey Bowers went looking for rabbit tracks in this weather. AKA, they got separated. Back to the Ingalls girls who are hunkered down by a fence. And Laura identifies the fence and says, home is in this direction. But, facepalm, Big Sister Mary says, follow me this other direction. Cut to Jim Bowers and Ted McGinnis looking for their boys. And I just have to point out that Ted McGinnis' pants are very, very thin. But we lose that thought when he bumps into a body in the snow. It's Joey Bowers! And ooh boy, Mr. Bowers picks up that boy. I've got to get him to Doc Baker and leaves with his son in arms. Ted McGinnis in those thin pants to continue looking for his boy, Henry, who is already back at the school. After following the fence for a little bit, Mary announces they are almost at the old Linderman farm. Laura, that old farm burnt down. There's nothing suspicious about that, I suppose. Mary claims that there's an old shack. And Carrie, on repeat, I'm scared. Back at Walnut Grove General Hospital, the wives are waiting. And Grace? Yep. They've been gone a long time. It's going to be pitch black out there before you know it. When are they going to be back? Caroline needs to give Grace some of that brandy or some of that laudanum. And she admits that they're probably on their way back. Just relax. And Grace continues and confesses her feelings of dread, anger, and jealousy. All she wants is to hold her children in her arms. And Caroline assures her that they will be back. And wow, Jim Bowers, with Joey in his arms, makes it back to Walnut Grove General Hospital... In rather quick time. And he looks pretty exhausted. And this is when Lottie McGinnis approaches him. Where is my husband? And Jim Bowers states he continued to look for Henry. But what I want to know is, how did Lottie know that Ted and Jim were paired up in this search and rescue? And that's when Lottie, wide eyes, spills the tea, Henry is here. The Ingalls girls eventually find that Linderman shed, and inside, I get a little nervous when Mary pulls out the matches and tries to light them on the side of her new lunch pail. Christmas came early for someone, but she does get one of the matches lit, and they proceed to start a fire on the floor. They don't ever bother to light the candle, which would be a nice insurance policy. But with the fire going and being fed, Carrie starts to complain that her feet are now burning. Meanwhile, Charles and Mr. Edwards get to that fence, and Mr. Edwards announces they've gone too far and we'll be at that old Linderman place soon. And just as they are turning around, Detective Charles finds Laura's calendar, a clue, And they also continue forward. And well, cut to poor Ted McGinnis in those thin pants, still out looking for Henry. Good lord, boy, where are you? And oh, spit. He just kneels down, puts the lantern down, and then lays down in the snow. And slowly, his lantern starts to flicker and fade. Charles and Mr. Edwards continue moving on until Charles finally spots a fire through the cracks of an old shed. There's that small blessed family reunion once Charles and Mr. Edwards gets into the shack, but then they inquire, where's Carl and Alicia? Also, where's John Jr.? Mary, I don't know. We separated from them. And this is when Charles announces that the shed they're in is about to be blown down and they have to get back to school. But not Mr. Edwards. My kids are still out there. And Charles, well, I have to get mine back. This is such a Sophie's Choice moment. Mr. Edwards heads out into the dark to find his kids. Harriet Olsen, back out Walnut Grove General Hospital, lights the lamps. The school doors open and two more kids are accounted for, thanks to Mr. Hansen and Mr. Olson. And Mr. Olson's first question is, who is still missing? And we are informed, the Ingalls girls and the Sanderson siblings. Way to go, everyone. Mr. Olson, give me a moment before we head back out. But Harriet, you can't. The temperatures are dropping. You're low on kerosene. But Mr. Hansen, side by side with his search and rescue buddy, states, Doesn't matter. He can't hear you. Total exhaustion. He'll be asleep for hours. Mr. Edwards is still out looking. Charles is escorting his girls back to school, and that's when he trips. And he turns to investigate into the snow, and that's when they find the body of Ted McGinnis. Charles, keep moving. Nothing we can do for him now. And back at school, general hospital, it's a sad scene. Somber. Grace and Caroline are the only ones waiting for news of their children. Grace, I can't just sit here and wait. And well, dear listeners, Grace is just getting worse and worse. She's getting desperate to get outside and look for them. Those are my babies out there. And just then, the doors open, and it's the Ingalls girls. With the girls in Doc Baker's care, Caroline cares for Charles as he's leaning up against the wall. And a CCC Grace, a total 180 from where we were a moment ago, kindly asks, Isaiah, where is he? Charles explains that Mr. Edwards continued to look for the Sanderson siblings, After the girls were found. Grace is stunned. Shocker. Doc Baker's attention is to Charles. And he explains to him as well that there's maybe about five minutes of light still available in the two lanterns they still have out. You can't go back out there. Then somebody should offer him some brandy. P.S. Charles shares the news about Ted McGinnis... And the expression on Doc Baker's face? Great. Now he has to deal with this. He puts on his bedside manner and heads over to Lottie and Henry McGinnis. In the meantime, Grace is helping to warm up the Ingalls girls. Isaiah's going to be here. He's lived in the mountains. This is just a little snowfall. He'll be here. You wait and see. And that's when we hear Lottie McGinnis scream in the background she just got the bad news. Grace freezes. Poor choice of words. Mr. Edwards is still on the hunt. Back at school. Hospital. Hotel. Everyone is asleep. Charles wakes up and it's quiet. And he gets up and he checks the windows and he announces the storm is over and it's Christmas morning. Wake up, Mr. Edwards. And The Sanderson siblings are still out there. However, just like any other Christmas miracle, the doors open up and we hear, anybody home in there? And in walks in Mr. Edwards with Alicia on back and Carl by his side. And John Jr., who knows where. Needless to say, Grace is ecstatic. The whole room is. Apparently, Carl built a snow house to shelter themselves. And that's where Mr. Edwards found them. Mr. Edwards also relays that, unfortunately, the kids are going to have a bit of a hangover as he shows off that mostly empty bottle of brandy. And while the group is celebrating, Lottie McGinnis, with her arms around Henry, look mournful. Charles looks at her and then moves to the head of the room. It's time for his sermon. And he picks up the Bible and proceeds to recite Luke chapter 2 verses 1 through 11. There's a slow zoom out of the group. Lottie and Henry are standing in the front, Christmas tree on the side. And I have one thought for this. Have yourself a merry little Christmas, if only in your dreams. I was so excited for this episode because, again, it has been some time since I've been able to do this, but we get to talk about the source material, the books. I know I've mentioned it some time ago, but out of the entire Little House book series, The Long Winter is my favorite one. I read it for the first time in the summer of 2020. It is the only little house book that i've read cover to cover multiple times plus i've also listened to the audiobook. just for fun yeah i close my eyes and i see a motion picture of this book in my head angles images story content i haven't exactly come up with my dreamcast just yet but uh, i love this book anyway quick summary of what i'm actually getting at is chapter nine Cap Garland in The Long Winter, which again, FYI, the date for that book is 1880 to 1881, which the way things are going in this season, it might be that time. In the chapter, the family has eventually moved into town after a freak blizzard in October. After some time has passed and Laura and Carrie are attending school, one particular school day, particularly nice warmer school day, We know this because Laura complains about having to wear her warmer undergarments. Right in the middle of their day, the sky goes dark and the blizzard starts. And the rest of the chapter is them trying to get back to their houses and hopefully not shooting past the one landmark that will prevent them from wandering aimlessly in the prairie and eventually freezing to death. Ooh, or should we say pulling a Ted McGinnis? also some interesting notes about some of this information is back in 1888, there actually was a blizzard referred to as the schoolhouse blizzard, the school children blizzard, or the children's blizzard, and is very much what we kind of watched in this episode, except it didn't take place on Christmas Eve. A freak blizzard happened on a particularly warm day, January 12th, and a number of lives were lost, a lot of them children, mostly because the storm hit right in the middle of the day. And again, it is mentioned it was particularly warm that day, so no one thought much of it. However, what was more interesting to read was that the years 1885 to 1888 were noticeably a lot colder and a lot fiercer with its snowfall. would take a little time to figure out, however, that this was actually a volcanic winter. Climate change back in the day. But we can all point fingers to one event. The volcanic eruption of Krakatoa on August 23rd, 1883. Even half a world away, and a year later, this eruption had lingering effects in the United States, as well, across the globe. Plenty of information available to read up on that if you're more curious, but let's go ahead and say, quick shout out to researchgate.net and an article published by Natalie Schaller and actually a number of other people on an article entitled, Climate Effects of the 1883 Krakatoa Eruption, Historical and Present Perspectives. Another article entitled, Volcanoes can Affect Climate, provided by the U.S. Geological Survey.gov website. And an article entitled, The Epic Volcano Eruption That Led to the Year Without a Summer, by Jack Williams from the Washington Post, June 10, 2016. That article is primarily about the eruption of Mount Tambora a number of years earlier and its climate effect change on the planet. But Krakatoa, of course, is mentioned there as well. And of course, lastly, the Wikipedia pages for Blizzards, Volcanic Winters, and Schoolhouse Blizzard of 1888. All right, well, that was exciting. Let's move on to finally reviewing and rating this episode. If I could sum up this episode in one word, that word would be disappointed. If I could sum it up in two words, wasted opportunity. In three words, could have been better. Okay, let's say my number one complaint is it is Christmas Eve and one, why are the children at school? And two, just a few episodes ago, Laura gave us that epilogue voiceover that Grandpa Ingalls stayed through the winter and was leaving in spring. So two years have passed. A smart writer would have decided to keep Grandpa Charles for a number of episodes and then throw this one somehow into the mix. And not only that, here's my other big complaint. We got introduced to two new families, husbands, children, and their respective wives. Unfortunately for Mrs. Bowers, she did not get a first name introduction. And each of the families played such a prominent role in this story. However, did we really need the Bowers in this? Other than knowing that Joey Bowers has a thing for wandering off in a blizzard for rabbit tracks and really wanting his own Red Ryder BB gun, rifle, his dad Jim Bowers is introduced at the beginning and then shows up in the middle and magically rescues his son and himself. I mean, did we really need that? Couldn't they have just been extras that were mentioned in the script? Oh, Mr. Edwards, we need to stop by Jim Bower's place and deliver that rifle for his boy. Done. Because perhaps then we could have spent a little bit more time with Ted and Lottie, McGinnis, and maybe even get introduced to their son, Henry. I mean, this is the first time that we've really been back to the feed and seed, feed and grain, and gotten any information about who is running the place. And so we are throwing the McGinnises, and well, by the end of the episode, we're down one of them. But if they're running the feeding grain, how come we've never met them before? You know, years ago, I would look down at people who were all about name dropping. But here, I would appreciate it so much more. And how long is this walk home for these girls? I know they can't track their way because everything's covered in snow. But they leave and it's light outside. And then the next thing you know, it's really dark. I mean, when we cut back to Walnut Grove General Hospital, every time a kid is brought in, they look as though they've been suffering for hours. And Mary, Laura, and Carrie, they just keep on moving. And yes, seriously, where is John Sanderson Jr.? He can't be out in the fields because it's Christmas Eve. So does he just do independent study at home? I'm just confused with him. But one thing that is not confusing is this week's Little House moment. And it goes to Willie Olsen as he goes to comfort Miss Beetle. You know, Willie may not be the brightest one in the pack, and he is easily swayed, bribed. But his approach to Miss Beetle, the soft pat on her head, and just letting her know it's not her fault, it's just something we've never seen from Willie before. So it felt really genuine. So congratulations, Willie, on a job well done. And finally, let's get to rating this episode. Okay, yeah, I've complained a lot about this one. I guess one of the things I find also kind of curious is, why did the storm... Actually, more importantly, why are these kids at school on Christmas Eve? Also, with the previous episode, The Hunters, debuting on December 20th, and then following it with this episode on the 27th. These are some rather messed up holiday episodes. And why did everyone let Ted McGinnis go out without extra layer of pants on? He said he was fine, but no, they should have stopped him and said, no, more layers. Yeah. The biggest tragedy in this episode is throwing in the McGinnis and Bowers clan. And again, really not even needing the Bowers. Now, the McGinnises, just by themselves, would have been perfect. You know, if they also gave us more of their backstory of where they came from, how long they've owned the feed and grain, feed and seed. And more importantly, how about we talk about what they're going to do now that Ted McGinnis is no more. So what's to become of Lottie McGinnis and her boy Henry? I think finding a little closure for them at the end of the episode instead of having Charles pick up the Bible and read it, would have helped the situation here. I'm sorry, this episode just frustrated me. I wanted to enjoy it so much more. And that's why we are going to give this episode, The Blizzard, three bonnets. Clearly, they have money this season for production. They just need money for a writer. Or again, at least someone to keep track of everything that's going on. And, well, those are just some of my thoughts and feelings about this episode. And, of course, I wouldn't mind hearing any thoughts or feelings you have about this episode. From Plum Creek with love at gmail.com or the Instagram account of the same name. And if you haven't checked out the playlist on Spotify, here are some of the artists that have made it onto that playlist in Season 3. Fiona Apple, The Rolling Stones, Aretha Franklin... Kelly Clarkston, Twisted Sister, Smashing Pumpkins, Elton John, Talking Heads, Bad Religion, and Roy Olberson. My playlists are always all over the place, so if you've been enjoying them, you're welcome. And if you haven't tried them out, go for it. And with that, we come to the end of another episode of From Plum Creek with Love a little house on the prairie podcast i'm your host john hernandez and until next time take care